There's a, a cultural difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. Yes. People out here are very polite. Nobody interrupts each other in a conversation. <laughs> when I sat down to write, I thought, I want to write about people who argue. Mm-hmm. I want to write about people who who interrupt each other. It makes a better uh, story, it, right? <laughs> it, and it's what I grew up around. It's what I'm familiar with. I found myself wanting to capture that piece of, of social interaction. Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode eight of season seven, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Gail Lehrman. Gail is an expatriate New Yorker relocated to the Pacific Northwest. Though she abandoned the canyons of Manhattan for the mountains of Oregon, Gail never lost her fascination with her native city and its melting pot history. So we're going to hear about why she decided to set her book in New York City and more about her book and her life. So get ready. It's a great conversation. Enjoy. Gail, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Your novel, Across Seward Park, released last fall. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. It's a a novel, historical fiction, um, about one family's journey through the early part of the 20th century on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Right. Tell me more about the... uh the premise, because I found it really fascinating when I was reading about the novel. Um, well, first, I grew up in New York City on store on my parents' stories of growing up on the Lower East Side, oh, although great. I spent almost no time there at all. Um, but it became this kind of iconic locale for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we re- when we relocated from New York City to Portland, Oregon, the sounds and the voices and the feel of New York just stayed with me. Every time I went home, every time I went home, my accent changed a little and I <laughs> sounded more like New York. Um, yeah. So I, when I sat down to write, uh, it started out actually as a writing exercise in a workshop. Tell the same scene from two points of view. And, oh. out popped, and out popped Irving, my main character. He came full-blown. Wow. Um, and, and it all started there. That's from, great. From two paragraphs. Oh, that's amazing. So Irving is your main character, and it's about him and his sister, right? Yes, so the premise of the book is that uh, in, in around in the early part of the ninth, of the twentieth century, mm-hmm. Irving and his sister have to leave. Uh, his sister Miriam is a little older. Uh, they leave their brutal father behind when their father condemns their beloved older brother, who's an epileptic, oh. to an institution. Oh my goodness! So Irving and Miriam set out on their own. Um, they're both fairly young. Irving's twelve, Miriam's eighteen, and they have to make their way on the Lower East Side, mm. which is a roiling place with the garment industry kind of dominating. Yeah, uh, ninety nine. I think it is ninety to ninety five percent of the ready to wear clothing made in the United States was made on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Wow. 
in that era. Yeah. It was also the most populated place on earth. Oh my goodness. So, so there, they have to find their way in, in this environment. And that's what the book is about. Right. And you said that, um, you grew up on the stories of your parents about the Lower East Side. Did any of this come from the stories they told you? No, the the book is pure fiction. Is it? And none of the characters in the book are based on people I knew, specific people I knew. Right. But they kind of embody the, the group of people I grew up around. And the things people thought about, and mm-hmm. the art. the other thing that happened that fed into the book is there's a a cultural difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. Yes. People out here are very polite. Nobody <laughs> interrupts each other in a conversation. <laughs> and when I sat down to write, I thought I want to write about people who argue. Mm-hmm. I want to write about people who who interrupt each other. It makes a better uh, story, it, right? <laughs> it, and it's what I grew up around. It's what I'm familiar with. Um, so so uh, it, it, it was to capture, kind of, it, I, I found myself uh, it, wanting to capture that piece of, of social interaction in the right. book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it's true. It's funny when I, when I go, south in the united states i'm pretty polite for a northerner but when i go south i'm a little nervous that you know i won't i won't really be polite enough for yeah southerners (laughs) i don't know yeah there's a learning curve yes you talked about your inspiration and and where this came from um why do you think though like as an ex-new yorker well first of all did you Moved to the Pacific Northwest with your family of origin, or was it after you were an adult? Oh, as an adult. As an um, adult, okay. Yeah, for my husband's job with my two-year-old in tow. Okay, so you've been there. Oh, 20, 25 years. 25 years in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. Okay, yeah. wow. So why do you think, I mean, you talked a little bit about this, but is there any other any other draw you think that um, made New York history the topic you really wanted to to write about? I have always felt in a, one of the things I love about that period about uh, it is so much of our social contract was developed and and came to birth in that period. Um, the Lower East Side of Manhattan from 1900 to to even into the 1940s was a cauldron of ideas. Um, mm-hmm. People, and people were the the birth of the garment industry gave uh, is the birth of of social security of unions of, right. of of the social safety net and it came out of the, that group of people arguing figuring coming up with debating with each other and pushing the system because they were living under such incredibly bad conditions Mm-hmm. So, so I've always felt uh, w- that it was an exciting place to be, even though it was such a difficult time. It was very, it was very exciting. And right. part of what's in the book is, is the um, 
I wanted to capture the different debates, the anarchists versus the Marxists versus the labor union guys, <laughs> all you know, arguing with each other and, and, and yet all pushing to try to improve the lot of people who were not doing well. Right. Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. I love New York City also. And I think part of what draws us to it is, is it's so rich in history and it was kind of the root of so much of what our country has become. I agree. Uh, I did a, a huge amount of research for this book. The research actually was was almost more exciting than the writing. Um, <laughs> seriously. Uh, yeah. But, um, but one piece of, one of the books that I read in doing research said, um, New York is, is a mythological place from that, from that period. It's the jumping off point for, um, the whole immigration era, the era of immigration. Right. Um, and, and so it, it, it is very iconic. Yes. One of the manuscripts I've written that hasn't been published yet is also, well, it's a dual timeline and, and one of the timelines is 1911 and they, the immigrants from Eastern Europe come through Ellis Island. So I also had to write about it around that, that same time period. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now we're going to get back to your research process, but I wanted to bring up um, something you mentioned in your your emails to me, the the plot of this book, it kind of brings up the question of what is our responsibility to ourselves and what is our responsibility to our family or to other people in our community? Yes. So as the story unfolds, we've got young Irving who um, at, at 16 or at 17 um, goes in to become a, an apprentice garment cutter, the garment okay. industry being the dominant industry of the, uh, of the area. Yes. And he's mentored by a guy named Leo Hirsch, who's the, a master cutter, who is also a Marxist. Okay. And Leo pulls Irving in, uh, Irving into, um, well, he, he takes him to a meeting where a, a very lovely young woman, uh, who becomes a character in the book, uh, says, you, you have to come help unionize my shop. It's a terrible shop. So Irving at, joins Leo and lovely Nettie uh, to go help unionize a really terrible sweatshop. Okay. Um, meanwhile, his sister Miriam, who is the... Uh, she, she's the survivor, the one who's going to save them. She has a whole other idea of how you make it. And she is going to become an entrepreneur. Oh. And, and um, so you have kind of two different paths of mm-hmm. how to become, how, how to improve your lot. Um, do right. you take care of your own? Because mm-hmm. Miriam is very much a person who says, I'm going to take care of my own, including Irving. And Irving gets involved with people who say, my responsibility is to the, is to the whole community. I see. Yeah. And then Miriam, of course, falls in love with Leo and they marry. <laughs> well, that's a and little then complicated. We've got, <laughs> and then, and then they, then Leo who stays um, true to his ideals 
And Miriam stays true to her ideals, too. I take care of my family. Mm -hmm. I make sure we're okay. And that creates a great deal of conflict in the book. Right. And conflict drives a great novel. So (laughs) I think you chose a great setting with New York and and great um, interpersonal relationships, too. And um, it kind of rolls into the second generation uh, because... Uh, um, Miriam and Leo have a daughter, mm-hmm. and the f- the book is told in three voices. Irving is the main voice. Then there's Miriam's voice, and the last third of the book is told from the point of view of Shelley Michelle, okay. who's Miriam's daughter. Right, and the all the thematic conflicts that have uh, rolled through the the early part of the book kind of meet up in Shelley, uh. who who's as second generation has a whole separate set of goals Mm -hmm. and, and a separate set, a a separate view of how you relate to people, how you relate to the larger community. And it sets up a big conflict between Irving and Shelley that uh, leads to the climax of the book. Okay. Wow. There's a lot, a lot of depth in this book. It talk more about your research because I know that you love to research. You said it was almost more exciting than than writing the book. So talk about what that research and writing process is like and how one affects the other. Oh, deeply. Well, first of all, here I am in Portland, Oregon. I want to write about New York City. Right. And then there's COVID. Oh. So I had started the research before, but certainly COVID meant that I couldn't go home. Right. But, but, um, so I started on the internet. And do you know what you can find on the internet about, I mean... Almost anything. Right? Almost anything. Uh, digitized oral interviews that were taken in the 70s and 80s from wow. the original uh, union organizers that they captured be- while they were still alive. So I could hear their voices and hear their... Oh, my goodness. And, and those voices absolutely impacted the book. Right. Um, films of A Journey Through Manhattan in 1911. Yeah, um, I've seen some of those. That's I bet you re- have. Really interesting, yeah. They're great. Um, so, so the city as it existed then and the voices of the people were really um, alive in my, in my consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and then... When I went back, when I before COVID, when I was able to go to New York, I went to the Tenement Museum, which okay. is a gem of a museum. And I took every one of those courses, every one of their lectures, and I wandered wow. around the area. I walked and walked and walked. Um, at one point, I had a plot point where I had Miriam buying a small two-story building because she didn't have enough money to buy a big one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is does that really exist? I mean, can I put this in the book? Because I don't know how real it is. And I'm walking and bam, at the corner of Hester Street in Essex is a two-story building that exactly fits the description that I wrote. Oh my goodness. I love it when um, things like that happen. That's cool. And, and, and I, I, it's up on my website. I, I, I've yes. got used, uh, you know, Google map pictures of it. And then I found a website uh, in 1949, there was a project to photograph every single building in New York City. Oh, wow. And all of those photographs are available online. 
That's amazing. So I could find a comparison picture of that spot as it existed in 1947 and as it exists now. Mm-hmm. Um, or for a- another example, um, one of the um, major issues in the book is Irving is desperate to locate the older brother who he adored, yes. who was ripped away from them. The, the father is so nasty that mm-hmm. he won't even tell his the kids where Arthur was placed. So then I start to research, well, if it was 1911 and you were an epileptic, where would you go? Where would you actually go? Right. And that led me to finding Letchworth Village, which was built and Letchworth. And as I'm researching Letchworth Village, I discover that the um, the superintendent was a eugenicist. Mm. And so oh, I'm like eugenics. And so I start researching eugenics which becomes another major plot point in the book. It's like every time I got stuck about, well, what's going to happen next? I would go to the research, and the research led to the plot. They were almost interchangeable. Oh, that's great. That's so fascinating. Um, And you you mentioned how your website features some of the real history um, behind the novel. So can you... You you mentioned um, that there's a picture of the building you're talking yes. about there. Can you share some other things, just a taste of what's there? Sure. Um, uh, oh, by the way, I need to, uh, uh, parenthetically, okay. uh, and I will go back. So I have this picture of, of the location on my website. And after the book was published, I, I get an email from a reader um, who said, oh, I came across your book and I saw the, um, the building that you had on your website. My family used to own that building. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was Gus's Pickles. Wow. Uh, which was a, actually a rather famous pickle shop. Um, and in my research, I had discovered that, th- that the address was a pickle shop. And I had pickles as a major plot point in, oh. the, in the book. Um, oh, that's neat. So, uh, other things that um, that I that I uh, glommed onto um, at a certain point in the book, um, Leo uh, gets involved in um, the Spanish Civil War, and uh, which I, was a precursor to World War II and a very important okay. one, um, and. The United States sent over, um, uh, uh, there was something called the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, which was volunteers from, from the United States going to help fight against the fascist government that was trying to take over Spain. Wow, I did, not, I did not know this. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the Spanish Civil War was a real precursor to World War II. Um, because Franco and the fascists um, um, were supported by Hitler and Mussolini. Mm, okay. And it was like a 
practice run for them. And so uh, other countries that were trying to fight fascism sent volunteer brigades. We sent the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. Okay. I'm researching. I want to find out more about it. There's a high school in New York called Stuyvesant High School. It's a very uh, specialized high school. Mm -hmm. They have a website where every year their senior class researches one member from New York City of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade and writes their biography and posts it on the high school website. Oh, that's cool. That's referenced in on my on my website because I thought, what a wonderful project for young people to do. Yes, yeah, that's great, and what a what a resource too to to learn about them. Absolutely, memorial and more memorialized is what I'm trying to say. They're memorialized there. That's that's neat. Yeah, yeah, and it also gives. I mean. We write historical fiction because history has value. Yes. And, right, um, I think uh, historical fiction is almost, I mean, I think studying history is terribly important, but it's the historical fiction that brings it alive to people. Yes. So so I I, I love that, that high school students are doing this. Right. Yeah. You know, from listening to the show that I'm going to get back to what you just said about historical fiction. But um, before we get to that, I want to ask you about how you became a published author, because what what did you do as a career before this? And this is, I believe, this is your first novel. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Although I decided I wanted to be a writer when I was nine. Okay. Um, And I did go on to become an English teacher Mm -hmm. for several years. But um, there's something called adjunct, being an adjunct lecturer. Right, yeah. Um, And in 1970s, when I started teaching, kind of the only thing you could be was an adjunct lecturer. And after a few years of being an itinerant, I thought, no. So uh, although I did go back and get an MFA in the process because of course I wanted to be a writer. Right. Um, but needing to make a living, I became a computer programmer. Oh, wow. Instead. Uh, at, but I studied acting and singing mm-hmm. at, at night and uh, became involved in community theater and all of the, um, all of the artistic need kind of went in that direction. Okay. And that's what I did for several years. We moved out to Portland. My son grew up. He mm. went to high school. I discovered they don't teach grammar in, in the local <laughs> high school. And the kids really needed tutoring. So as my son was leaving high school, I started tutoring. And then I, and I was really teaching kids how to write. And then I said, good heavens, why am I teaching them how to write? I want to write. I really want to get back to writing. Oh, great. And that's how this all came about. Right. And you, so at that point, how many years ago was that, that you decided that? The book took about eight years to write. Okay. What with one thing. So so I started taking local workshops. Portland has a lovely literary community. Mm. Um, And uh, I hooked into, I met some wonderful people who are still uh, friends of mine and part of my writing uh, cohort. 
Right. That's great. Um, and then I was in a workshop and Irving popped out. Right. And there was, I've been living with Irving ever since. Yes. And you, I, I don't think, I hope you don't mind talking about what led you to decide to, to publish independently. Oh, sure. Um, partly it was a function of coming back to this so late. Um, so, um, after, as the book was, as I was finishing the book, I started educating myself on how to get published and Mm -hmm. what the various, uh, possibilities and, and methods were. And I knew that it could take a while to find an agent. And once you find an agent, it could take a while to find a publisher. And once you, even if you find a publisher, it could be another year before Mm -hmm. the book comes out. Yes. So I just thought of that timeline and I thought, I don't have time for that. I don't Mm -hmm. have the patience for that right now. I want something faster. Right. Um, And I think the pub, the publishing world actually is very friendly to self-published authors now. Yes. It's becoming more that way. Yeah. There's certainly plenty of support. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, technical support, um, for, for self-publishing. Sure. Um, and I know that it, and from what I learned, regardless of whether you self-publish or you're, you're published, let's say with a small press, you still have to do a lot of the promotion yourself. You do. Yes. Given that fact and given that I could get my book out in six months rather than in an indeterminate number of years. Right. And that the, the end result was you'd still have to do the promotion yourself. It made sense for me to, to go the route that I did. Right. Sure. I understand that. Um, and I think you did a beautiful job on the book. I mean, I don't know if that, if it was, a lot of work for you to learn how to do that or, or not, because you must have a very, um, a good sense of technology if you were computer programming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that really helped. I, right. I was not intimidated by the, by the technology. I also had, I am, I have a wonderful support group around me and I, I had, uh, uh, friends who had been through the process right. and who guided, you know, it's like, oh, re- vellum, what's vellum? And where do I go <laughs> for a book cover? And, oh, I have to incorporate. And, uh, but, but, uh, but having, having a, a community really yes. makes a huge difference. That is, it makes a huge difference that I cannot imagine being a writer without having no. that community no. of writers around me. Yeah. The, the myth that writing is isolating or that it's a myth. Yes. I, I mean, not only are you um, surrounded, surrounded by your characters who are so alive when you're working with them, but, but I have found my fellow writers to be wonderfully supportive. And, right. And, and it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's good. That's great. So, what are you working on next? Are, do you have another book well, planned? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> um, in the process of doing the research 
for this book. Um, I, I, there is an organization called the Women's Trade Union League, mm. which was a very important piece of, of uh, organizing in the first half of the 20th century. And I, I found the characters there to be, they're fascinating stories. So I'm starting, I'm going to go back to that period and, and I'm noodling around with those characters and seeing where that it takes me. Right. Great. That sounds cool. So since you listen to the show, you know that, that I have a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Oh, well, to, to, to quote a cliche, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Right. Um, I, I think that we can't approach the modern, the current world without having some sense of where it's coming from. How do you make decisions in a vacuum? Yeah. How do, you, you have to have, you, I think history is one of the most important things we can learn. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, I think historical fiction brings that to life it, in ways that make history accessible to people. Right. And, and especially now, it's urgent that, yes. um, that we have a sense of, of where our country comes from. How else do you make decisions about where you want it to go? Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you had brought up in your email to me that there are specific things going on in our world now or in our country that relate to the subject matter of your book. So you feel like it's relevant. Do you want to speak to that? Well, sure. I mean, the book is about um, working people organizing Mm -hmm. to improve their lives, right? figuring out how to improve their lives and the different paths you can take to do that. I think, I think working people are struggling to figure that out again. Mm. And you're again being one of the themes of the book is do you do for your own or do you do for the larger community? Right. I think that's a very essential American question. Mm-hmm. You know, the rugged individualist versus the community. Do, do I do, am I responsible alone Mm-hmm. for how my fate or are we as a community responsible for our fate and and i i think that's something that that's very much in the current discussion um right. in america yeah and also um, i have to say the the issue of immigration and how immigrants yes. um come into the community right yeah that's true so this has been a great conversation, Gail. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, you can go to my website, gaillehrmanauthor.com. Uh, that would be the best. Okay. And also read the book. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being us, with us today. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. I yes. really enjoyed it. Me too. Well, friends, I'm sure you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Gail. Uh, make sure you go to the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. 
That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. Of course, some of you, if you listen in Apple Podcasts or some other apps, the show notes are right in the app, which makes it super convenient. But if it's not there, go visit the website where those episodes always live. You can help out the show by subscribing, reading, and reviewing. And if you thought of somebody who would enjoy this episode, share it with them. Today, I'm going to leave you with the words of Groucho Marx, who said, practically everybody in New York has half a mind to write a book, and does. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, whether it's about New York or other places, and I will talk to you again next week. Mm -hmm.